everybody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. He must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Uh, So today is the day when the FBI has to redact their affidavit and submit it to the court down in Palm Beach. That's one of the things that they have to do. And and so the question, you know, really is, did they have a reason or a right to invade Mar-a-Lago? And the other question is... What did he know, and when did he know it? And we're talking about Joe Biden. Remember when Trump got impeached over a phone call with Zelensky? That, to me, you know, when you when you take a look at that, and you 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 say he mentioned the word uh, Biden and uh, Hunter's son and Burisma holdings and the whole thing just look into it that's all that's all he was suggesting because victor shogun was getting fired and all these other things were happening and he just wanted zelensky to he wanted to be reassured that zelensky was looking into the fraud that was going on to get rid of the money laundering that was going on uh otherwise we're not going to you know, be a strong ally with Ukraine, the money laundering capital of the world. And he got impeached over that. And what they accused Trump of doing, looking at his political rival, investigating his political rival, is exactly what they're doing. And they did that. And, you know, the thing is, is that uh, Biden knew. So we're going to hear from Larry. We're going to have a clip from Larry Trump uh, regarding that issue. And we're going to also have a long montage that uh, Tucker Carlson put out on student debt. 
which is really the th- it's an absolute theft. The more I think about it, the more it frustrates me that it is an absolute theft of the middle class. So we have these long clips. They're fairly uh, substantial, uh, but they're worth listening to. Um, and which one we go to first, we're going to go to actually this um, this particular interview that describes uh, the injustice of the student loans. Let's take a listen to this. This is neither Tucker nor Biden or Laura Trump. But this is uh, an interview that I just heard and that I wanted to share. So we're going to take a listen to this in just a second. And uh, let's take a listen here. And you are so correct. Uh, Listen, someone's going to pay the tab for the bailout. Let's call it what it is. It is a bailout. And that's going to be me and you, 300 million of us um, who are not impacted directly, right? 400 million, 40 million borrowers. 300 million of us are going to pay the tab. One estimate I saw last night was about two grand or so mm-hmm. for the. By the way, this is uh, Dan Ricardo, University of San Diego finance professor. The average taxpayer over the life of this thing. I guess that number will change, but someone has to pay the bill. And that's going to be us. Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, if you're a a taxpayer who maybe went to trade school or you paid off your own student loans, the average price for you is going to be around $2,000 per taxpayer uh, as a result of uh, President Joe Biden's handout on this issue. You know, this brings up a larger conversation about student loans in general. Not all degrees are created equal. And don't you think we should be talking about this idea of return on investment? So if you're a small business owner or maybe you're a a contractor, you take loans out for things like welding equipment or a truck. And you take that into account when it comes to looking at what return on investment that will be for you by the time you pay off that equipment. The same is not done when it comes to taking out hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loan debt. Is that a conversation that people need to start having? I'm glad you said that because you are absolutely correct. We really, as consumers, Americans are the best consumers on the planet. We spend days looking at the you know, ingredients in our mini-wheats. We don't spend enough time, as you said, focused on return on investment when it comes to what is for arguably one of the largest investments we'll ever make, college. College is a great way for us as a society to advance. There's no question the value of higher education is undisputed. But we as shoppers, we as consumers, we as families need to do a better job to understand that value and figure out ways to pay for it just waiting for a government bailout. Smart Mm -hmm. families do this all the time around the kitchen table, Katie. We don't need the federal government to come in and rescue us. What we need is a reform of the system. We need fixing the system, not necessarily forgiveness. Yeah, as we know, it's not just that uh, it's going to cost taxpayers around $2,000, but it's also inflationary as well, which is a tax on everyone. Dan, thanks so much for your time this morning. Jealous you're in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Thanks, Katie. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. Um, I meant to cut that sooner. But uh, in any case, um, you know, it's $20,000 in debt cancellation if you went to a to college on Pell Grants. It's $10,000 in debt cancellation to non-Pell Grant recipients. Only It only applies to individuals making under... $125,000 or couples making under $250,000 and cuts monthly payments in half 
for undergrad loans. This is, uh, this is just a way to buy votes. This is all that he's doing. And it's, it's shameful that you, 87%, I read this statistic, 87%, well, this is Jim Jordan said this, 87% of America does not have a student loan. And 87% of Americans are now going to have to pay a student loan. It's theft. It's thievery. And Nancy Pelosi came out all of a sudden and said, well, apparently the president does have the power. Remember I played the clip yesterday? And she said the president doesn't have the power. Well, the president has the power. It's crazy. And if you object to it, this same man-man that's in the Oval Office right now, this corrupt Biden guy, will send the FBI to your house and they will follow through with raiding your house and ransacking your house. We're living in Nazi times, like Nazi Stasi Hitler times right now. Forget about Banana Republic. The globalists have moved in and they are literally ransacking your home. Whether you look at the home as your whole country, the flag, your education, whatever it is, is being destroyed before your very eyes. It's absolutely crazy. Let's take a listen to what's going, the latest on Mar-a-Lago. How much advance notice did you have of the FBI's plan to search Mar-a-Lago? I didn't have any advance notice, none, zero, not one single bit. Thank you. President Biden denying any prior knowledge of the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago, despite smoking gun evidence showing the White House had been working with the National Archives for months. Meanwhile, the DOJ has until noon to file a redacted copy of the affidavit used to justify the raid. The Justice Department also releasing a 2019 memo advising former Attorney General Barr against prosecuting then-President Trump with obstruction in Robert Mueller's Russia probe. Fox News contributor Laura Trump joins us now. Great to see you this morning. So the first question is, do you believe Joe Biden when he says he had no prior knowledge of the raid? Uh, Katie, I don't think anyone believes Joe Biden, just like we didn't believe when he said he had no uh, conversations with Hunter about the foreign business deals, which we know was a lie. Just like the 0% inflation they're trying to suggest is happening in America right now, we know it's a lie. Um, it's, It's ridiculous to assume that the current president did not know about an FBI raid from his own Department of Justice on the last president and a person that he may be running against in the upcoming 2024 election. What an outrageous statement from Joe Biden. I don't think anyone believes that. And if you do believe that, then who is in charge at the White House? Who is making these calls? It is very concerning on all fronts and completely insane. Oh, I know Attorney General Merrick Garland said that he personally approved the warrant to go do this raid. DOJ has been told, a judge has asked the FBI to come up with redactions after saying the affidavit, which the Trump team wants to be released in full, while DOJ wants it to be completely sealed. A judge 
just said you can't seal the whole thing, you have to make redactions. So what are you expecting when it comes to what kind of information we may see by noon today? Well, unfortunately, I'm not totally confident that we're going to get a lot of information. I'm sure they're going to try to redact as much information as possible, but it would be in the best interest of America for us to get full and complete transparency. My goodness, when 48% of independents do not trust the FBI, you guys just showed that poll earlier in the show, uh, that is a really alarming statistic. These are independents, not Republicans. We cannot function as a country if we don't have faith in one of our fundamental institutions like the Department of Justice. And gosh, it looks more and more every day like this was a political attack on Donald Trump, just like they have all been in the past. So I think for the, the good of the future of America, we should get a fully transparent, unredacted version. But Katie, I'm not confident that's what we're going to get. I'm sure they're going to try and conceal as much as possible. What about the leaking that we're seeing from the Department of Justice about about what's in this affidavit. I mean, they, they conveniently have everything that's in it, and yet we haven't seen it, but yet we have these little nuggets of narrative that the Department of Justice has put out to the media that conveniently bolster their argument for why they had to carry out the raid. Yeah, it's, it's funny how that works. And it's funny that these are these same uh, folks in the media they're leaking to who also received the little drips of information during the Russia collusion hoax. This seems like a, a coordinated effort, and it, it is very concerning, I'll tell you, as an American citizen, to see that this is happening. Of course, they are trying to clear their name. They have egg on their face at this point at the Department of Justice and the FBI. Nothing should have warranted a raid on Mar-a-Lago in, in what we saw a couple of weeks ago. You can't justify that. They know that. And so I guess they're trying to control the narrative. The truth mm -hmm. is the American people see through this. They see what a political attack this was on Donald Trump just like all of the other ones. And in the end, I'm sure he'll be cleared just like he has been in the past. Well, we'll be waiting to see how much. There you go. So that we're, by noon today, we're going to be getting some information. We'll see what uh, they decided to release. And it'll be it'll be interesting. All right. So um, I wanted to hear I wanted you to hear this clip as well. All right. So this is uh, an interesting clip. Uh, by Philip Wegman to Biden White House officials. Why did you structure this policy in a way? Now, now we're going to move from Merlago to back to the student loan forgiveness uh, theft, really uh, redistribution of wealth, whatever you want to call it. And it's not to the to the poor; it's to the elite that are getting this. Ten, you know, it's a, it's a theft from the middle class to the elite, the established elite. But this clip, to me, really uh, sums it up because it's it, it contradicts what the Biden administration proclaimed they were all about, which was about building up from the middle middle class out. And this person asked the question. And uh, it's not middle out. This is going straight to the elite. If you take a closer look at the White House fact sheet that was released, um, the White House cites a construction worker who makes $38,000 a year as a potential candidate for, for this student loan relief. You also cite a $77,000 a year earning nurse. And that sounds great, but I'm, I'm wondering, 
why did you structure this policy in a way that would provide up to $40,000 in debt for a married couple making up to $249,000? I mean, why include folks who have gone to post-grad, you know, law school or, or business school? Is that really bottom-up, middle-out? Uh, yeah, it is. You know, as we've made clear, nobody in the top 5% of incomes is going to get a single dollar under this proposal. Um, and actually, we have very good data showing that folks even making uh, in that range that we talked about that near the top of the income cutoff uh, are much more likely to be experiencing distress after repayment starts. There's good data on it. And look, again, as Ambassador Rice said, we welcome having this debate. If you look at this chart, you can see that 87% of the dollars overall are going to, to people making under $75,000 a year. Uh, and zero dollars, zero percent, are going to anybody making over $125,000 in individual income. And, and just because I've seen some criticism from, from Republicans on this today, it's instructive to compare that to what the Republican tax bill did in 2017. It's basically the reverse. Fifteen percent of the benefits went to people making under $75,000 a year, and 85 percent went to people making over $75,000 a year. And if you zoom in even more on that, uh, people making over $250,000 a year got nearly half of the benefits of the GOP tax bill and are getting $0 under our bill. So uh, we think that this is a classic example of what the president talks about in middle-up uh, economics. It's going to families that really need it, uh, and the vast majority of it uh, is going to people making under $75,000. All right. Number one, it's not a tax cut. It's not a tax cut. A tax cut is not the same as loan forgiveness. The first is getting to keep more of the money you earned. The second is taking money other people earned. See the difference? Jim Jordan writes, who will ultimately pay the price of Joe Biden's student loan handout? The 87% of Americans who don't have student loans. Thomas Sowell wrote, you cannot subsidize irresponsibility and expect people to become more responsible. That goes across the board with what we're seeing in America today. This is the epitome of the Liberal Party, the Democrats. Jim Jordan writes, student loan forgiveness will benefit wealthy elites. Once again, Joe Biden forgets about real America. Even Mitch McConnell, Democrats' student loan socialism, is a slap in the face to work, working Americans who sacrificed to pay their debt or made different career choices to avoid debt, a, widely, a wildly unfair redistribution of wealth toward higher-earning people. And Stephen Miller writes, So Biden wipes out working class savings with inflation, empties their wallets with gas prices, drains their resources with mass migration, floods their streets with crime, steals their kids' education with forced masking, and now forces them to pay off loans for Democrat lawyers. Wow. That puts it nicely. And by the way, uh, it's, uh, I don't know if you've heard this, but First Lady Jill, Dr. Jill Biden, 
got COVID again. She's <laughs> at the same time, you know, you listen to Biden say, if you get the vaccine, you will not get infected. And they both got it twice in the last month. Both Joe and Jill. It's absolutely disturbing and crazy at the same time. Meanwhile, home prices in July declined at the fastest rate in over a decade. What does that mean? Well, we talked with uh, French Hill, uh, Congressman French Hill, oh, you know, just uh, I think it was uh, two days ago. And uh, one of the things we talked about was the housing crisis. And China's housing crisis is is really in full flow, full blown collapse, and that's going to have a a ripple effect. This is going to be a different kind of housing crisis than we saw in 2008 because in 2008 we didn't have the mechanisms in place to allow the consumers to really get in over their head like they did in 2008. So we don't have that problem. But that problem that was solved paved the way and created a uh, opportunity for the bank lenders, the invest, uh, institutional investors. And the institutional investors today, they are the ones that are going to be hit the hardest. So the entire banking industry is going to be in, in, in big trouble. And they're starting to release all, this, all these houses that they were buying. They, were, they bought too many of them. And they were consuming acres and communities with their money. I think China is going to be in trouble as they were buying up American property. I think Bill Gates might take a loss on this because he was buying up farmland. And I think that this consumption from institutional investors was sort of like rigging the market. Uh, and now the the uh, jig is up, and people are finding out that this whole thing about uh, increasing value in property was artificial. And you're going to see this massive collapse in housing prices. What you thought your home was worth is going to be worth a lot less. It's becoming a buyer's market already. And prices are dropping. So according to just the, just in the news, or just the news, home prices in July declined at the fastest rate in over a decade. A decade. Think about that. A decade. Drop with second sharpest decline in over 30 years. Wow. That's massive, folks. That's massive. So we got to keep an eye on the ball on that. Trust me, I keep bringing that up about housing um, for a lot of reasons. I'll tell you more about my interest in the housing market uh, in later shows. But uh, for now, rest assured, what I'm telling you is true. All right, we're going to take a listen to Tucker's Open. It was superb. And uh, we're going to take a listen to this. This is all about the student Scam, student loan scam. Let's take a listen. 
a lot of posturing about student loan debt, but actually some of it's true. Student loan debt really has crushed a generation, maybe multiple generations of American young people. If you're wondering why your kids aren't married or even living on their own, student loan debt may be a big part of the reason they can't afford to. They're in hock to some well-manicured diploma mill whose degree turned out to be worth a lot less than advertised. A five-year communications major from Arizona State? Perfect! Step right this way. You're now a barista in a strip mall. The whole thing's a scam, obviously. Think timeshares in Cabo, but without the waterfront condos. We've said all of this many times on the show. College debt is real. It's hurting young people, and there's really no good reason for it. So when Joe Biden announced today that he plans to cancel some of that debt, the obvious response would be to celebrate the announcement. But we didn't right away. Instead, we paused to learn the details about what he was proposing. That's a habit we've picked up from watching people like Joe Biden in action over the past several years. It's always worth reading the fine print. These are the very same people, after all, who decided it was a good idea somehow to defund the police. They're the ones who forced the entire American population to take an experimental COVID vaccine even when it became obvious that it didn't work. These are the people who sent crack pipes to crack addicts, the ones who think 16-year-olds should vote in presidential elections, the ones who screamed at you about how Ukraine's borders are sacrosanct, but yours are racist, etc., etc., etc. These are people, in other words, with a long and public track record of very bad ideas, extraordinarily bad ideas, ideas so stupid you couldn't make them up. So the question is, is this idea different? We want it to be but unfortunately it's not. And here's how you know it's not. Colleges aren't refunding any of the loan money. You are, you are. But wait, you say, I didn't defraud anyone. I didn't claim that a degree in post-colonial liberation studies from Wesleyan would be worth anything. I didn't take 80 grand a year from middle-class families in order to turn their children into Xanax-addicted robots with no job prospects. Well, no, you didn't do any of that. But you're paying reparations anyway. Wesleyan's not. Wesleyan's off the hook. They all are. They'll pay nothing for the scam they perpetrated, though they're a lot richer than you will ever be. No, you're paying. It's on you. Does that seem fair? Well, no, it's not. But it's how Washington works. Politicians reward their donors first. They're first in line. Joe Biden knows this rule. He may be demented, but he remembers that. Consider the 2005 bankruptcy law, which has gotten not enough attention. That's one of Joe Biden's few legislative achievements in his 36 years in the U.S. Senate. That law prevented borrowers from discharging, getting rid of credit card debt and private student loans in bankruptcy. All other kinds of debt could be discharged, but not credit card debt. Weird. Who benefited from that? Well, credit card companies. Where were they based? Delaware. And those companies also happened to be Joe Biden's biggest donors. So they wanted his support on this bankruptcy bill, which would prevent people from getting out from under the debt they incurred at their exorbitant rates on their credit cards. So to get his support, the bank, MBNA, bought Joe Biden's home for several times its actual value. MBNA also hired Joe Biden's ne'er-do-well son, Hunter, speaking of crack addicts, and paid Hunter Biden more than 100 grand a year as a consultant from 2001 to 2005. How corrupt is that? Well, unimaginably corrupt, un-American, shocking. But that's what happened. And a lot of Americans suffered as a result. That legislation hurt people. In the subsequent decades, student loan debt tripled. Americans' average credit card debt went up by thousands of dollars. But Joe Biden didn't care because the point of the bill was not to help Americans. The point of the bill was to reward his biggest donors. And it did. Is that what we're seeing here? Well, let's see. 
Where is Joe Biden's core base of support as of August 2022? Well, no group in America supports Joe Biden more fervently still than college administrators, one of the fastest growing job categories in this country. How's that for depressing? There are hundreds of thousands of college administrators in the United States, and most of them have master's degrees. As you can see from this chart, that group overwhelmingly donates to the Democratic Party. People employed in the education industry, and that's what it is, it's an industry, gave nearly $300 million to Democrats in 2020. They gave $30 million to Republicans. Talk about lopsided. So these administrators are the very beneficiaries of the single greatest scam currently underway in the United States. We send tax dollars to colleges who don't need them in the form of government-backed loans, but instead of lowering tuition for you, they hike tuition every year at a rate far faster than the rise in inflation. Then they use those profits to hire more useless, unhappy, anti-American administrators, all while failing to give your kids even a basic education in anything that's worth something. And then, because all of that isn't insulting and destructive enough, the government rewards them and exempts these very places from paying taxes. In our tax code, universities are treated like charities, though they are very much not charities at all. And if you pay the bill, you know. But they don't pay taxes. And that's why their endowments are bigger than the GDP of some countries. Harvard's endowment is over $41 billion. Yale's over 30. Stanford and Princeton over 25. University of Texas, bigger than them all. So it doesn't matter what they call themselves. These places are not colleges or universities. They are hedge funds with classrooms attached. And if there's anyone in the United States that doesn't need more government money, it's the higher education lobby. But today, Joe Biden threw them more. He decided to give these colleges, these hedge funds, more of your money. And you shouldn't be surprised because he just rewarded his private equity donors, and there are many of those, by preserving the carried interest loophole. That just happened earlier this month. Your taxes are going up. They're paying half the rate that you are. So today, Biden announced that he's going to force taxpayers to cover $300 billion worth of student loans. Now, you may remember that the Inflation Reduction Act was supposed to reduce the deficit by $100 billion. Oops, sorry, there goes that, 3x. Biden also announced that his voters don't have to repay their loans anytime soon, certainly not before the midterms. Student loan payments pause is going to end. It's going to end December 30. I'm extending to December 31st, 2022. And it's going to end. We will forgive $10,000 in outstanding federal student loans. In addition, students who come from low-income families, which allowed them to qualify to receive a Pell Grant, will have their debt reduced $20,000. Both of these targeted actions are for families who need it the most. Working and middle-class people hit especially hard during the pandemic making under $125,000 a year. If you make more than that, you don't qualify. You can kind of see the appeal of Joe Biden in this. So you must remember Joe Biden. He's been around since the beginning of time, and he was this kind of cheerful, working-class guy. Oh, I'm from Scranton. Now he's just a husk. He has no idea what he's saying. But the image of Joe Biden still resonates in your head. He's for the middle class. Of course, it's the opposite of that. If you wanted to help the middle class, you would send $10,000 to every family with a head of household who lays concrete or every truck driver in the country. But that's not what he's doing. If he wanted to do that, he would force colleges with $30 billion endowments to cover this loan forgiveness. 
He would also talk about mortgage loans and credit card debt, which are much bigger problems for most people. Card debt. Instead, Joe Biden is talking about what his supporters, the NPR community, cares about, and that's student debt, and he's making you pay for it. According to the Wall Street Journal, more than 70% of the loans that Joe Biden just canceled, that you're going to be now responsible for, are held by borrowers in the top 60% of income distribution. Oh, and that makes sense because only about 38% of all Americans have a college degree. Maybe everyone in your neighborhood, but only 38% of the country. And only 13% have graduate degrees. And guess how much student loan debt is held by people with graduate degrees? Can you guess? About 56%. Oh, so it's nonprofit administrators who are benefiting from this. Certainly college administrators are benefiting. We just told you that. But there will be other beneficiaries, all of whom reliably support the Democratic Party. That would include Harvard Law graduates. And that's why professional buffoon and former Harvard Law professor Larry Tribe is celebrating today's announcement. Quote, he wrote on Twitter, his metier, good news for my thousands of former students. I'm grateful on their behalf, Mr. President. Oh, you slobbering suck up. Shut up, Larry Tribe. But imagine bragging that Harvard Law students are out from under the crushing debt. How out of it do you have to be to send something like that? So it's a good day for Harvard Law grads. They're in trouble. They need your help. Thanks to Joe Biden, many of them now get to take at least 10 grand off their outstanding student loan bill, and you're paying the difference. And what's weird, what's missing from Larry Tribe's analysis is whether the president can actually do that legally. Like, who cares, I guess, now? But if you're a law professor, you should probably care. It wasn't long ago that Nancy Pelosi, you've probably seen this clip, we've been running all day, but we're going to see it again. Nancy Pelosi pointed out that actually the president can't do this. Only Congress can do this. Here's Nancy Pelosi. People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That would that has to be an act of Congress. That would have to be an act of Congress. Well, that was last year, but we've repainted the slogans on the side of the barn. And it turns out Joe Biden can do whatever the hell he wants because Susan Rice works for him. Get out of her way. Just as with the eviction moratorium, the Biden administration decided we're just going to ignore the law. Donors are too important. All of this is totally backward, legal or not. If you actually wanted to improve the United States of America, you would think deeply about how to help people who never went to college in the first place. And then, moving down the hierarchy, you would reward the people who worked hard to pay for college themselves. They deserve something. They followed the rules. You can't ignore them. And once you've made them whole, you would think about helping the millions of people who scrimped, sometimes with low-paying jobs, to pay off their college loans. Again, who did it the right way. There's got to be a reward for them. What's the incentive to do the right thing if there isn't? Well, Biden was asked about that today by our Peter Ducey. He ran away. Watch. Is it fair to people who paid their student loans or chose not to take out loans? Is it fair to people who, in fact, uh, do not own the multi-billion dollar businesses that see why these guys get them all tax things? Is that fair? What do you think? Huh? We're trying hard. Maybe we're too literal here. What the hell did that mean? We have no idea. He had no idea. So they haven't answered the question. How does it make any sense to punish the people who did the right thing, who paid their loans off. And there are a lot of those because Americans are law-abiding people. They want to do the right thing. It's the law. 
They don't need 87,000 new armed IRS agents to do the right thing. They're Americans. They want to do the right thing. That's the overwhelming majority of the country. So what about them? What do they get in exchange for doing the right thing voluntarily? Well, Elizabeth Warren was actually asked this maybe two years ago. Here's her response. I don't care. I just want to ask one question. My daughter's getting out of school. I've saved all my money. She doesn't have any school money. Am I going to get my money back? So you're going to pay for people who didn't save any money, and those of us that did the right thing get screwed. No, it's not even like that. Of course we did. My buddy had fun, bought a car, went on vacations. I saved my money. He made more than I did. But I worked a double shift, worked extra. My daughter's work, she was 10. So you're laughing. I'm going to add Luke. Oh, so there's one guy in America who still cares about fairness. Remember fairness? If you want to have a functioning society, things have to be fair. If people believe things are fair, they will voluntarily comply with the rules. But the second they realize things are stacked against them, are inherently unfair, the people in charge don't care about fairness, they will do all they can to shirk their responsibilities and to ignore the rules. That's why no one in Greece pays taxes, because they think the system is rigged. Presidents should not accelerate that degradation of public spirit. Again, if you wanted to improve the country by dispersing billions of tax dollars, you would help people like the guy you just saw who worked hard to pay his debts. And then, if you really wanted to go forward with debt forgiveness, and you could make an argument for that, who would you award it to? Well, you would award it to people who might conceivably improve the country you live in. Who would that be? Well, let's see. Dental and veterinary students, structural engineering majors, people who did something useful in college. But you would never in a million years even consider giving a tax subsidy to lawyers or gender studies majors or diversity administrators. Why? Because you don't want more of those people. We have way too many of them already. And then you would never send money to anyone who supported BLM riots or anyone who claimed on Twitter that America is a systemically racist country. Why would you send them money? Why would you send the fruits of America to people who hate America? What is that? It's suicidal. No sane person would do that. So what you're watching, as always, is class warfare. They reward the top and the bottom, people who don't need it and people who aren't trying, and then they crush the struggling middle, the law-abiding, the people who want to do the right thing, who have collective spirit. They hurt those people. Why would you forgive the college debt of someone who spent six years majoring in oppression studies at Long Beach State? You would only do that if you're engaging in the ugliest kind of partisan politics. Reward my voters. It's the equivalent of paying people to watch Joy Reid. It's like subsidizing an NPR pledge drive. The message, they do not care about you at all, and they're no longer pretending. J.D. Vance is very well educated and still very sensible. Running for Senate in Ohio, he joins us tonight. J.D. Vance, I know that you are very concerned about student loan debt. Any person who looks at the numbers is. Is this the way to address it? I know it's certainly not, Tucker. I mean, you hit the nail on the head that this is effectively a bailout for a super corrupt educational system. The Harvard Endowment has $60 billion. The Yale Endowment has $40 billion. If you want to give student debt relief, you should penalize the people who have benefited from this very corrupt system, right. not ask plumbers in Ohio to subsidize the life decisions of, of, of college-educated young people, primarily young people who are going to make a lot of money over the course of their lifetime anyway. Uh, so, no, this is exactly the wrong way to do it. 
it. And again, if you give this bailout to these university administrators, they're going to keep doubling down on what they've done, which is effectively indoctrinating our kids, not educating them, not giving them the useful skills for the job market, but indoctrinating them and getting a massive windfall from Joe Biden in the process. It's really, really corrupt, and it's going to make that corrupt system live even longer. I just don't understand why Republicans don't say anything about this. Everybody understands that students are so crippled by debt they can't begin adult lives okay that's a real problem and we should not deny it but the people who caused the problem who benefited from the problem who defrauded these students are not paying like why is it so hard for republicans to say hey yale it's time for you to pay reparations to your students not only are they not paying tucker they're actually being rewarded by this policy and that's what makes it such a huge mistake and I got to say, Tucker, there is a political dimension to this. Of course, I'm running against Tim Ryan, Democrat from Ohio, who's been on every side. He's flip-flopped on every side of this student debt issue. But if you think about this, two months before ele the election, Joe Biden has given a massive windfall to Democratic Party donors. It's one of the reasons why I'd encourage people to help us fight back at JDVance.com. But this has very direct implications for the middle class in this country. Tucker, you know as well as anybody that if you look behind a lot of our bad policies, whether it's the student bailouts, the globalization, moving stuff to China, whatever you want to say, it's very often a massive transfer of wealth from middle-class, hardworking people to the yeah. upper class in this country. That's exactly what this is, a massive bailout for people who've made bad decisions and are doing very well economically. When I say that, I mean the college administrators, of course. It's hard to imagine a worse policy, a policy that solves few of our problems and harms uh, much more people. And you know, everybody uh, is going to have to pay like $2,100 uh, out of their pocket. But think about it. These American-hating, radical Democrat elites are going to get ten to potentially $20,000 in debt relief. What a gift. I mean, it's absurd that this is happening in America. Uh, I left that run uh, because I wanted to uh, promote J.D. Vance a little bit there. Everybody knows on this show that I'm not a fan of J.D. Vance, but of course I want him to beat Tim Ryan. So um, uh, we have a lot of listeners in Ohio and, uh, you know, but uh, I wanted to at least promote him a little bit. I, I like J.D. Vance as much as Donald Trump likes J.D. Vance. And, uh, He's been endorsed by Donald Trump, but uh, that's one of the Senate seats we need to pick up to change America for the better and bring America back to on its feet. Um, you know, we have three key Senate Senate races that we have to we have to win, and that is the one in Ohio against Tim Ryan, and. The other is against Featherman, Fetterman in uh, Pennsylvania with Dr. Oz and against Warnock with uh, Herschel Walker. You know, we need Herschel Walker. So those are three uh, significant races, I think, that could help change the Senate for the better. Um. There is this one other clip that I want to play. It's a Tucker clip, but it is about the uh, raid. Uh, it's it's uh, 
It says Tucker exposes bombshell documents on FBI raid, sending Pete DC into panic. Was Biden in on it? Of course, we know Biden was in on it. So when the FBI raided the home of Donald Trump, it was pretty obvious to us that this was the Biden administration ordering it. Oh, no, separation of agencies, they said. We didn't coordinate this with DOJ. Well, of course they did. Donald Trump is likely running for president again. They want to stop him. It's what they do in the third world. If you have a political opponent, you just imprison him. So now proof is accumulating that that's exactly what happened. The website, Just the News, just published a letter from Deborah Wall, who runs the National Archives, to Donald Trump attorney Evan Cochran, Corcoran rather. Wall wrote in April this, quote, I've decided not to honor the former president's protective claim of privilege. The counsel to the president has informed me that in light of the particular circumstances presented here, President Biden defers to my determination in consultation with the assistant attorney general for the office of legal counsel regarding whether or not I should uphold the former president's purported protective assertion of executive privilege. That's how they write in Washington. Oh, it's excruciating. Then she continued. Accordingly, the archives will provide the FBI access to the records in question as requested by the incumbent president beginning as early as Thursday, May 12th, 2022. So what this is, is confirmation that the White House counsel's office, quote, affirming a request from the Department of Justice supported by an FBI letterhead memorandum, demanded the National Archives, quote, provide the FBI access to the 15 boxes for its review within seven days. That was in April. In other words, Joe Biden's administration signed off on all of this months ago, and Merrick Garland just executed it. Obviously. You know, the other flip side of that, or the addition to that, is that these boxes were sent by the GSA, the Government Services Administration. They were sent by the government. So President Trump didn't even look and potentially has never seen the document in question. I mean, that that should tell you everything you want to know there. So... So when the F- yeah, oh, sorry about that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's to me that's that's a significant factor. Um, I was looking for a clip to uh, to to actually cover that, but uh, um, I, I I was listening to uh, uh, I think it was Cash Patel, but Cash Patel uh, basically said, you know, that these documents were sent to Mar-a-Lago. Um, independently of Donald Trump. So this raid on, on Mar-a-Lago is just, just another example of this, of the, uh, you know, the separation, the separation of justice uh, between the Republicans and the Democrats. And it's, it's absolutely disgusting so there's um, also the issue of uh, COVID that we wanted to talk about today a little bit. And uh, Jim Jordan, uh, it's a clip that I wanted to play. Jim Jordan uh, and the, the Fauci emails because Dr. Fauci's resigning. So I wanted to play this really quick. 
And uh, this is an outline of how uh, Dr. Fauci changed the definition of gain-of-function research. Two really important sentences are in that email. Two sentences that get Dr. Fauci's attention. The first is this. The unusual features of the virus make up a really small part of the genome. So one has to look really closely at all the sequences to see that some of the features look engineered. Again, this is January 31st, 2020. Second sentence. Eddie, Bob, Mike, and myself all find the genome inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. Email arrives 1032 to Dr. Fauci on January 31st, 2020. Two hours later, two hours later at 1229 in the morning, Dr. Fauci sends an email to his top deputy, Mr. Hugh Oshenkloss. Guys, worked for Fauci for 15 years, part of his inner circle. Sends it, subject line says, important in all capital letters. He attaches a paper on gain-of-function research written by Dr. Barrick and Dr. Xi. Dr. Xi, of course, is the so-called bat lady, bat woman, the lady who does research in the Wuhan China lab. This email, Dr. Fauci says, again, to his top deputy, it is essential that we speak this a.m., Keep your cell phone on. Read this paper. You will have tasks to do today that must be done. Notice the intensity. Notice the focus. I mean, this is the house is on fire email here. Now, two hours after that, at 2.48 in the morning, Dr. Fauci's busy this morning, 12.29, that email he sent to Dr. Oshenklaas, his top deputy, two hours later at 2.48 in the morning, he sends another email, this one to Robert Cadlick. Assistant HHS Secretary, Trump appointee, not part of his inner circle, and he attaches a different article to this email, one that says the virus came from an animal that downplays any lab leak theory. Now, again, notice the tone of this one. Bob, this just came out today. Gives a balanced view. Best, Tony. I mean, totally different from the previous. This is one like, oh, if you get a chance, read this. Gives a balanced view. So the tone is different, but also that sentence, gives a balanced view. It's not true either. That's just not accurate. This article downplays, as I said, the lab leak theory emphasizes evolutionary cause to the virus. What happens next? What happens next? Later that same morning, later that same morning at 11.47 a.m., Dr. Fauci's deputy gets back to him. I just want to read you this whole email. The paper you sent me, the one he sent him on that was written by the virologist from Wuhan, China, and Dr. Barrick. The paper you sent me says the experiments were performed before the gain-of-function pause, but have since been re- reviewed and approved by NIH. Not sure what that means, since Emily, someone else who works for Dr. Fauci, is sure that no coronavirus work has gone through the P3 framework, which, of course, is the oversight body that's supposed to approve any grant dollars going for gain-of-function research. No coronavirus work has gone through the P3 framework, Final sentence, she will try to determine if we have any distant ties to this work abroad. She will try to determine if our fingerprints are on any of this. All these emails happen in 13 hours. So 13 hours after Dr. Fauci gets the initial email from Christian Anderson saying, looks like this virus is engineered, not consistent with evolutionary theory, Dr. Fauci knows some important facts. First, Dr. Fauci knows there's a lethal virus on the loose that started in Wuhan, China. Second, he knows the American taxpayers have funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan, China. 
Third, he knows that the research grant didn't go through the required oversight board. Fourth, he knows the virus, quote, looks engineered and, quote, not consistent with evolutionary theory. And finally, fifth, Dr. Fauci knows he may have ties to this work in China. His fingerprints, in fact, may be on this. So what does Dr. Fauci do next? After he says, oh, whatever, what does he do next? He organizes a conference call for later that same day. I mean, this is the busiest 24 hours I think I've ever seen. He organizes a conference call, 12 people on the call. Dr. Fauci and 11 virologists from around the world. Virologists who've gotten millions of American tax dollars over the past several years. Now look at this list. Here's the list of people. There's only two Americans on the list, Tony Fauci and one other. Most of them are from around the world, as I said. I think the first thing you notice is who's not on the call. Who's not on the list? Is Dr. Cadlick on the list? The guy he sent the email to at 3 in the morning? Is Dr. Redfield the head of CDC? Dr. Girard, who's with us today, Assistant Secretary at HHS at the time? Dr. Burks, the lady who's soon to be COVID response coordinator? In fact, there's no one from the government on the call except Tony Fauci. Tony Fauci and 11 other individuals who got a bunch of American tax dollars over the years. What happened on the conference call? The short answer is we don't know. We don't know what they talked about. I mean, I, got a, I think we've got a good idea. We don't know for sure. But we do know what happened four days later. Four days later, February 4th, 2020, Christian Anderson, the guy who started it all, who said the virus looks engineered, Christian Anderson said this four days later. The crack, the quote, the crackpot theories going around at the moment relate to this virus being somehow engineered. That is demonstrably false, close quote. What? In four days, this guy went from this looks engineered to now that's demonstrably false. Four days, he went from this isn't consistent with evolutionary theory. Now we know it's totally evolutionary. But it gets even better. It gets even better. Mr. Anderson and three of the other people on this call write an article a few weeks later that says COVID is not a laboratory construct. And while they're writing that article, there's an email from March 6th where Mr. Anderson offers to let Dr. Fauci edit the article before it's published. And here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. When the article is published, Dr. Fauci cites it at a White House press conference when he is asked by a reporter about the origin of the virus. Cites the very article he put in motion on the conference call and he was allowed to edit. They rewrote it. They edited it. <laughs> they, they set this up from the very start. Well, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams show. I know we played a lot of clips today, but they were worth listening to uh, and reminding us of the corruption that's in our government. Be sure to check out tacticalcivics.com. They're a new sponsor for uh, the show. Tacticalcivics.com. And if you could... Sign up and become a member. It's a great organization, tacticalcivics.com. And with that, we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. A little deeper, just to bury my kids right up to there.